Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Right after the holidays, because usually that's when people are frazzled, you know, and you start asking questions like, Dear God, can I make it? Can I handle one more thing? Do I really have to go there? You start not looking forward to talking to people you actually like because your emotional tank is on empty. And we thought, what a good time to have a series on how to manage stress and how to make room for things that matter in God when you're, you're just about done with just about everything. So we had this series called Maxed Out. And if you're not maxed out, good for you. But if you are, we're here to help. I'm talking you back from the edge so you don't have to jump over. And I believe I'm concluding that for you guys down here, right? Excellent. So to conclude, we are going to talk about something super spiritual. Rhythm, routine, and order in our lives. And some people hear that, and and I'm convinced this is actually quite polarizing. Because for most of my life, if you showed me these words, I would start to shake and convulse. I just didn't like anything to do with rhythm, routine, or order. It felt like prison. You're trying to box me into stuff. You know, don't give me a schedule. Don't break down my time. Don't, ugh, gross. I want to be free, right? And then other people gravitate towards this naturally, and they love it. They eat it up. So whichever camp you're in this morning, I hope to convince you by the end that this is more than just practical and useful. This is actually deeply spiritual, deeply spiritual. And you might be in doubt. Ho, ho. Just wait till the end. Let's start out with Isaiah 45, 18. We're going to come back to this verse a few more times in this message, and I hope by the end it means more to us all than it did at the beginning. I'm going to read it. For the Lord is God. He created the heavens and the earth. He put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. I am the Lord, he says, and there is no other. Isaiah 45, 18. God created the world. Let's take a minute and let's just look at some fun facts. Do you guys like fun facts? I really enjoy fun facts. You know, it's, maybe it's my interneted mind, right? I can't get enough facts and information, useful or not. Let's start out with a few about the cosmos, Earth and all this other stuff out in space that God made. Let's talk about anthropic constants. Yay! That sounds sufficiently nerdy, doesn't it? These are just the things that need to be in place for life to exist on Earth. And these are just a few. Let's talk about them. Number one, the oxygen level. In the atmosphere, it's 21%, which is good news. Because if you bump that up as high as 25, we get spontaneous fires. And if you drop it down as low as 15, we all die, which is a negative. Atmospheric transparency. Why is that important? This little thing called solar radiation. We don't want to have too much. We don't want to have too little. That has to be just so, so we don't all fry, which is also good. The moon's gravitational pull. More of a gravitational pull, we have catastrophic tides. Just imagine it yanking those oceans back and forth all over the landmass. But if we had less, we would have a catastrophic orbital, catastrophic orbital variation. So many weird words. And that's not good either. The Earth's gravitational pull has to be just so. It has to be constant. Gravity itself. If you tinkered with gravity, if you altered gravity by zero point, and then there's... 37 zeros. I'm not going to say 0, 0, 0, 0, 37 times, but 0.37 zeros and then 1%, the sun wouldn't exist and neither would we. Now that is a very tiny amount, and there's lots more constants. 
the centrifugal force of planetary movement. No doubt we've all lost sleep over that one, but that has to be just so. The expansion rate of the early universe had to be just so, or else we wouldn't have a universe. The speed of light has to be a constant to make certain laws of physics what they are. Water vapor levels in the atmosphere have to be just so. Jupiter's orbit, this is a weird one, man. Jupiter, it turns out, is like almost like our bodyguard, our cosmic vacuum cleaner, and it makes sure that meteorites and asteroids that would normally wipe us out never make it. It sucks them up and takes the hit itself. So thank you, Jupiter. We appreciate that. The thickness of the Earth's crust has to be just so. We need some seismic activity, but we don't want to swim in a lake of lava. Earth's rate of rotation has to be just so. And Earth's degree of tilt on its axis all has to be just so. Everywhere you look in the universe that God created, in the Earth that God created, you see rhythm, routine, and order. It's everywhere. It's pervasive. It's undeniable. It's somehow almost divine, even to atheists. Atheist astronomer Fred Hoyle said this, A common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect, he doesn't say God, mind you, but it seems that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics, as well as chemistry and biology. This is an atheist. He didn't drop his atheism, but he was honest enough to say, look, man, it sure looks like somebody put this thing together. There's so much rhythm, routine, and order structure is another way to talk about this. I just don't know what else to say. I'm trying to have a common sense interpretation, and it looks like this is done by something. He mentions biology there. Let's zoom in, right, from way out here in the stars to right in here in our own bodies and and physical organisms all over. The Bible says that God formed man from the dust, If you read Genesis 1-1, it says that the earth was formless and void. And God jumps into the mix, and he starts forming and shaping things and making sense out of the chaos, right? And then he does the same thing with dust. He forms man out of the dust of the earth. You got all this dust laying around, and he grabs it. The word forms means he squeezes it into shape. He's making something intentional out of this disorganized stuff, and he makes it just the way he wants it. And as you should guess, probably, from what he's done in the universe, he makes something very structured, very ordered, intricately ordered. And I'm not going to go too much into this for the sake of time, but I want to suggest two books. Can I do that? Yes, you can, Pastor Anthony. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. These are both by a guy named Michael Behe, okay? He's a microbiologist, and uh, he wrote two books. One is called Darwin's Black Box. This was his first book, and he was a doctoral student, I believe, studying microbiology, and he's like, man, oh, man, I'm just not sure that this evolutionary process can explain this crazy amount of rhythm, routine, order, complexity, and structure I'm seeing in cells and different biological organisms. It's almost maddening how complex they are. So he wrote this book. And then he wrote an extra super nerdy follow-up called The Edge of Evolution, which goes into more detail about how intricately ordered things are. I have to admit, large sections of this book I did not understand. It was over my head, but that was not my goal. My goal was to be astounded, and I accomplished that goal. There is so much rhythm, routine, order, structure, and complexity that, again, another materialist, you might know him, his name was Francis Crick, he co-discovered DNA, said this, an honest man, armed with all the knowledge available to us now, could only state that, in some sense, the origin of life appears, at the moment, to be almost a miracle. So many 
are the conditions which would have had to have been satisfied to get it going. Rhythm, routine, order, structure, everywhere. It's on earth. It makes life possible. It's in the stars. It's in the cosmos. It's in you. It's in microbiological organisms. It's all over the place. You can only come to the conclusion that God loves rhythm, routine, and order. He can hardly go anyplace without bringing it. He can hardly touch anything without instituting it. What does God say with the very first covenant in the Bible with Noah? He's like, Noah, don't worry. There's going to be plenty of rhythm and routine. Well, it's what he says. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. My rhythm, routine, structure, and order is going nowhere. That's what I bring. That's what I do, and I'm keeping it around. When God finally gets around to making a people for himself, what do you think he does with their lives? Do whatever you want. Make up days. It's fine. You don't, you don't really need structure. No way, man. Not the God who created the heavens and the earth and made all this complexity everywhere. He gives them rhythm and routine you wouldn't believe. They're swimming in it. He says you guys are going to have days that go from evening to evening. Structure them that way. Your weeks are going to go from this thing called Sabbath to this thing called Sabbath. And then he says you better observe the Sabbath. And then he puts a rhythm and a routine and a structure and an order in their years. He punctuates the years with holy days and festivals and feasts and then commands them to make sure they celebrate those feasts. And then he doesn't stop with the years. He divides their time up into seven-year chunks. Every seven years, I want there to be a rest for the land. And then he divides their time into 50-year chunks. Every 50 years, not only is there a rest for the land, but I want a total property reset. And then start the 50-year chunk over again. And it doesn't really stop in 50-year chunks. These people, his people, knew where they were situated in a covenant timeline. Beginning of the earth, covenant with Noah, covenant with Abraham, covenant with Moses, covenant with David, little X, you are here. And then they're looking forward to another covenant which is to come that's going to bring in yet another age. Rhythm, routine, order, out there, in here, in our lives, everywhere. He's truly a God of order and not a God of chaos. And this is what it means when it says the Lord is God. He created the heavens and the earth. He put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. That was my intro. Was it good? good. Okay, now we've entered the talk proper. Excellent. Good morning. My name is Pastor Anthony. I won't do that whole thing again. But I want to start here by saying we put a word in this verse in our minds. I do it. I'm pretty sure everybody else does it too. And if you don't do it, man, I want to talk to you later because I haven't met anybody that doesn't. And here's the word we add. The word is then. And here's where we put it. The Lord is God. He created the heavens and the earth and then put everything in place. Isn't that how you guys interpret it? Because, of course, we know that to create something means to make something exist. There was nothing. Poof. Now there's a podium. Right? And the Bible certainly says that God created everything we see. Matter came into existence through God's decree. We know that. But here's the weird thing. This was written a couple thousand years ago in a different culture. And the people that wrote these words and the people that read and heard these words didn't think of creation that way. The creative act to them was the putting of everything in place. It was the bringing of order. It was the institution of rhythm, routine, and structure. 
That was what it meant to create in the ancient world. And this is why, to bring it back to our theme of maxed out, you may feel like you have no life. Might not seem to correlate immediately, but I'm going to work this out. If, in the ancient world, to create something meant to separate it out as distinct, to give it a function, and to give it a name, maybe this is why you feel like you don't have a life. Can I say something about that? Because I'm not trying to insult everyone. I have certainly uttered the phrase, I feel like I have no life. Am I alone here? Has anybody else said that? Okay. I'll tell you another thing I've said. I've only met one person that admitted they've said this. But my wife will sometimes ask me at the end of the day, like, hey, babe, how was your day? And I'll say, oh, I'm totally frazzled, right, from my busy day. It's been filled from basement to rafters with obligations and have-tos and things I needed to get done. And I've been doing them since I got up. You know, and now it's evening and I barely have enough energy to relax. So what do I tell my wife about my day? Well, naturally, I say, babe, I feel like my day didn't even exist. What didn't exist? The thing that wore you out so badly today didn't even exist? What do I even mean? What do, mean, what do we mean when we say we have no life? And what we really mean is, I'm so busy with the stuff in my life, I feel like I have no life. Boy, that's weird. But maybe in this area, we're more ancient than we think. Maybe we mean something like this. And something like this makes a very weird thing possible. If you think that to create something, to make it exist, means to separate it out as distinct, give it a name and give it a function, you can suddenly have non-existent entities. That's weird. And all of you are probably wondering, what in the world is a non-existent entity? Well, we can't go on a field trip to see one, but in the ancient world, they believed that you could. And I'm going to show you a picture of those right now. The people that wrote those words and heard those words in Isaiah 45, 18, would have been able to point to deserts and oceans as non-created entities. They're there physically. You can touch the sand. You can touch the water. But they're vast, seemingly formless, purposeless, uncharted, wild, dangerous. No one has brought order there. They don't really exist in their ancient mindset, even though you can go see them. Does that make sense? That's a very strange thing. But they believe that in these unnamed, uncharted, unseparated out, functionless places, this was the domain of something very real and dangerous called chaos, with a capital C. And this chaos was a force that wanted to bring disorder and destruction to your life. It's different than evil, per se, you know, because evil we associate with being bad and being cruel. Chaos is just the enemy of order. But there were monsters in the realm of chaos and all kinds of nasty things. You guys heard the sea monster stories, right? You've seen like old pictures with the big things in the ocean, the serpents and things. Well, this is why. Those are the chaos waters. Even in the Old Testament, they believed there were demons in the desert. Why? Well, because that's the realm of chaos where all kinds of nasty things lurked. And if you feel like your life is the domain of chaos, that is going to be massively stressful. And no doubt you might even think there are monsters in your life. I think there are. I think there's one in particular. And I'm going to talk about it last. I think we do have a chaos monster that's running rampant in our lives in 2018. And I hope that piques your curiosity because I'm actually quite proud of a few slides in the end of my presentation. So I hope I get a chuckle and 
<laughs> I hope it's deeply impacting. But if your life feels like the realm of chaos, I have a tip for you, and we're going to talk about how to do it. You probably need to make it exist. So I'm telling all of us, myself included, get a life with a happy face, because it's my second potentially rude slide. Get a life. How do you do that? Well, conveniently, if in the ancient world, the people that wrote Isaiah 45:18 thought something didn't exist, if it wasn't separated out as distinct, didn't have a function, and didn't have a name, well then, golly gee, you can make something exist by separating it out as distinct, giving it a function, and giving it a name, giving it purpose as another way to think of this. Some of you guys are probably already drawing the conclusion that I'm going to make, but in case you aren't, I want to know, are you ready to hear the secret to rescuing your life from the kingdom of chaos and bringing it safely into the realm of existence? Can you handle this? All right, it's big. Here we go. It's a daily planner. Ah, you knew it. Mind blown. That's actually the passion planner up there. I really do want to get that. But uh, yeah, right now I'm just printing sheets out from scatteredsquirrel.com. So not quite as good, but you can do that for free if you don't want to spend the money. If you want to see the passion planner, Mark's got one. But yes, I am serious. Getting a planner. No, I'm not apologizing for that. No, that wasn't a ton of dramatic buildup for no reason. Guys, a planner is so important. This is how you take your time, separate the chunks out as distinct entities, give them a function, and give them a name. You can have chaos running rampant with the monster that I think is kicking our butts in 2018 if you don't do this. Now again, my life has not been characterized by order or a love of routine ever. So I hope I'm not seeming like a huge hypocrite. This is where I'm at. This is about six months fresh for me, okay? And I've realized that with order, I thrive, and without it, I'm stressed or failing. And even if I don't seem like I'm failing to other people, guess who thinks he is failing? This guy. Anybody been there? That's no fun. Everybody thinks you're doing fine, but you feel like you're like trying to find something to hold on to as you're going down. Man, no good. So rhythm and routine are our friends. Parameters are not prisons. Freedom only exists, only exists within parameters. People have this weird idea of freedom that I've, always, I've also talked about where they think freedom means no one telling me what to do and not having any sort of guidelines or boundaries. Gross. That's called chaos. We just talked about that. Chaos is where the monsters and the nasty things are. Chaos is massively stressful. And an ordered life, a life that actually exists with time separated out, given functions and given names, will decrease your stress. That's super practical, isn't it? But it's also very spiritual, as I hope we're already seeing. I want to close with a very long, drawn-out close. It's going to be kind of like landing a 747, where it's just nice and gradual. And then before you know it, you feel that little bump, and I'm passing off the microphone to Ruben. And I want to talk about the benefits of an ordered life. If you're willing to go through the trouble to make it exist, here's three good reasons why. Number one, ordered things are a better thing. That is not a typo. Two, you're going to do the important things. And three, you'll find nothing. You'll find nothing. Let's talk about the first one. Ordered things are a better thing. Who has ever been asked with, you know, obviously it's rhetorical, the person is going to tell you the answer is pressure. 
pressure. Who's ever been asked the difference between coal and a diamond? Right? That's actually graphite. It's not, not actually coal. But I've heard it said that the difference between lowly old coal and this amazing, beautiful diamond is pressure. It's the pressure that turns the coal into a diamond. I'm going to make a bold statement, and I'm going to say that is hogwash. That is garbage. And I'll tell you why. If you put pressure on that piece of graphite, what's going to happen? Just get a, you're going to crush it, man, because on top of being common and cheap, it's fragile. And if you put pressure on a diamond, you're not going to break it. So the difference is not pressure. I'm going to tell you today that the difference is structure. They're both just carbon. That's it. Nothing else is added to either substance. They're completely polar opposites. I mean, one is black, one is clear, one's fragile. One is the hardest substance known to man. But all that both of them are made out of is carbon. It's the same thing. The difference is how they're put together. The graphite is layered. You have these layers of carbon atoms that are strongly bonded together as a layer. That layer is definitely a thing. But it's only loosely bonded to the thing beneath it and the thing above it. So it's this, and then this, and then this, and then this. A layer, another layer, more and more, one thing on top of another. Does that seem like life? If you have a layered life, don't put pressure on that thing. It's fragile. You feel like it's about to come apart because it might be. Each thing is distinct, but as a unit, ready to break. Contrast that with a diamond, which again is just carbon, and that thing looks like a fortress, man. That is made to withstand. Not only is it beautiful and valuable, it's tough. A diamond is the toughest thing you can find in nature because of the way it's put together. But again, I feel like I'm repeating this over and over, and I am, but it's all just carbon. The difference is structure. The way the same thing is put together. This is good news, because I'm telling you that although the baby will still cry, the dishes will still get dirty, and work, hopefully, is going nowhere, you don't need to add something else to your life or take something away in order to make it less graphite-ish and more diamond-ish. And I throw the ish on there because this isn't a promise that everything's going to magically turn into diamonds, but I can promise that it'll get better. How? Order it yourself. When you take the time to make a written plan, when you write down what you have to do, you fit it in on purpose, even if you can't change it. Look, I've got huge tracks of my life that I cannot change. I have stuff I need to do that's there, and I have no internet in my house. Now, if inside I'm worried about getting that stuff done during the six to seven hours, two or three days a week that I'm watching my 10-month-old daughter with no internet in the house, I am a mess of stress. But if I separate out those six hours, if I name them Jane time, and my function is to be the best dad I can be, maybe with some modest goals during nap time, my stress is gone. It's the same thing. But I've stopped the layering, and I've put it together the way I want it. I've made it exist. I've made it real. And I don't beat myself up trying to do things I can't do anyway. I do what I can do, and I know what I'm going to do because I've written it down. Does that make sense? Excellent. Separate, assign function, name the time. This is a huge battle. Let's all take a deep breath. And once you've done that, you've separated the time, you've named it, you know what you're going to do, this enables you to do the second thing. You're going to do the important things. 
Have any of you had a day that was busy, again, super busy, and you were a, a good person and you did all the things you had to do? Maybe you even did them excellently. And at the end of the day, you have this weird, hollow, haunting feeling, almost of regret. It's hard to name, but you feel like another day has come and gone and you're not sure that you made any progress or did anything of value. You feel almost like you wasted your time, even though you did a ton of stuff, all of which you had to do, all of which would have been irresponsible not to do, and yet, what is this feeling? Why am I I tired, but I don't want to go to bed? I feel like I want to go back to 8 a.m. and do it all over again. What do I feel like I need to accomplish? And I think that what we wish we would have accomplished was the thing that is important to us. All of us have goals, right? Maybe it's fitness. Maybe it's reading nine or 10 or 7,000 books that you've been meaning to get around to. Maybe you want to write something. There's something you want to do that's important to you that is valuable that is not getting done. Take ownership of your time and schedule them in. The man with the mighty mustache, Brett McKay from theartofmanliness.com, I I like him a lot. He has this advice. He says, the middle of your day can go haywire real quick. But usually, usually, we can control our mornings and our evenings. Some of us have a hard time with either one of those. But I'm going to say this. If you're one of most of us, really, who can control when you go to bed, then you can control when you wake up. Anthony, are you telling me I have to get up at like 4 a.m.? No, I'm not telling you you have to get up at 4 a.m. But... I'll pose the question to you guys. Well, I'll just tell you. I think it was Jocko Willink. He's an ex-Navy SEAL. He's become quite the somebody. He's got a podcast. He was talking to a guy, and I'm probably going to get this quote wrong, but this is the gist of it. And this guy said, Jocko, I really want to get in shape. And he said, great. And the guy said, yeah, but I can't because I travel a lot for work, and I'm always in hotels, and they don't have gyms. And this Navy SEAL looks at him and says, oh, well, who's stopping you from getting up at 4 a.m. and doing burpees in your hotel room until you puke in the trash can? And the answer is obviously, I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound like fun. Well, handle that first. Do you want it or not? And if you really want it, are you willing to write it in earlier or later than anything else? Schedule it in. Write it down. Separate out a time as distinct. Give it a name and give it the function. The thing I wish I would have done 10 years ago or yesterday. And make it happen. You'll do the things. Lastly, if you order your time, you will find nothing. Nothing is our chaos monster. I think this is running rampant. It's infesting more lives than we care to admit. And I have taken a monster from the video game Dark Souls to represent nothing. This weird bloopy thing, it makes these sound effects when it walks around. It's, it's slow, it's ponderous. It's, like bloop, 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 bloop. it's got little suction arm thingies. And it, it almost looks cute if it didn't also look subtly nefarious, right? And then it comes up, it kind of bloop, 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 it bleeps up on you and reaches its little hand out and then sucks you to death. And suddenly it's less cute, you know? And if you can get up on a ledge and look down on these guys, you see that they've got that little cone thing is just like run around all the way with teeth. They are not cute. They're not harmless in any way, shape, or form. They are very dangerous. They just seem kind of innocuous. This is nothing. Nothing is infesting the unnamed, unseparated, functionless portions of our time. And it's very strong. You might think I'm making too much of this, but C.S. Lewis disagrees. In his book, The Screwtape Letters, he has the master demon tell his apprentice demon this. He says, look, 
Nothing is very strong. Strong enough to steal a man's best years, not in sweet sins, but in a dreary flickering of the mind over it knows not what and knows not why. In the gratification of curiosities so feeble that the man is only half aware of them, and the long, dim labyrinth of reveries that have not even lust or ambition to give them a relish. But once chance association has started them, the creature is too weak and fuddled to shake them off. This was written when C.S. Lewis's idea of nothing was kicking your heels, twiddling your thumbs, and whistling tunes you don't even like. What if he knew about Facebook, or Twitter, or Tumblr, or YouTube? My goodness. Nothing has so many more weapons today than it did in his day. I got this quote from a book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, which is all about sin. It's written by a guy named Cornelius Plantinga. And Plantinga says you can form your whole life around nothing, wandering around malls, watching TV shows until you know the characters better than your own children. And he says if you do that, you are essentially living a life that is a yawn at the creator of the universe. You're telling God with every moment of your existence, you've made nothing of interest and you've redeemed no one of consequence, not even me. Nothing is horrible. It is violently opposed to you. It only seems cute. Does that make sense? So let's return to our friend here with the Daily Planner. Now, this was, you know, you probably didn't look at the schedule too closely last time, and I covered it up with that mind-blowing emoji pretty quick. But we can look at, at our friend's time here, and it looks like Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday are pretty full. Looks like she's doing pretty good. She's separated some things out. There's creative use of a highlighter, I see, maybe some different fonts, some caps, and she's making her time exist. But Thursday, Friday, and man, Saturday, Sunday, if we zoom in, I think if we look close, we can see, oh my gosh, it's crawling. Absolutely crawling with nothing. My question is, how do you have a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday when chaos monsters are absolutely infesting four days of your week. We're going to have to call in Orkin to handle all of this nothing. My goodness. And you know how it pops up, right? Like, I don't really know what to do. What's going on right now? Phone comes out. Laptop opens up. Maybe that, you know, the seventh fiction book you've read all day pops into your lap. And then the time is gone. Where did it go? No idea. Well, I can tell you. You fell into the realm of chaos. Unseparated unnamed, functionless time. And that's the place monsters live, man. And nothing is the monster that's kicking our butts in 2018. And I want to say one more thing. I'm going out on a limb, but I've been both busy and I've had a lot of free time in my life. Right now I'm, I'm in seminary like Mark and, you know, I work and I have a family, so I'm kind of busy-ish. I'll tell you, man, it's weird. There's a certain stress associated with a busy life just because it's busy. But the stress of chaos, this life-sucking stress of nothing, affects people that don't have a lot going on more than people that do have a lot going on. It is weird, but no one is immune. No one is immune. So, you make something exist by separating it out as distinct, giving it a function, giving it a name. Why do we do that? Because we're super practical personality types? No. Because we're made in the image of the God who created the universe, made the heavens and the earth, and put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. 
I'm the Lord, he says, and there is no other. And while there is no other, we are made in his image. And I want to suggest today that we order our lives and we make our day-to-day life a place to be lived in and not a place of empty chaos. It's mirroring God, and it also decreases our stress as a bonus.